Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Oh hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. Our college contender series continues previewing our top 10 men's and women's teams heading into the 2022 college tennis dual match season. If you missed our opening episodes, you can go learn all about number 10 Kentucky men's team, number 10 Ohio State women's team on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, there are four components to each breakdown in our college contender series what each of our writers matt stokoyak john parsons going to be writing about each of our teams on our website crackrackets.com of course here on the great shot podcast we'll be breaking down each of those teams talking about their 2021 campaigns talking about the strengths and weaknesses of their rosters projecting their potential singles and doubles lineups and of course offering predictions on their 2022 results of course we'll also hopefully be sitting down with each and every head coach of our top 10 teams asking for their thoughts on their returning roster, asking for their thoughts on expectations for the season, and then, of course, picking their brains on some of the other components going around the college tennis world. And then lastly, but certainly not least, hop on over to our YouTube channel, Super Producer Daniel Westoff, summarizing all of these contents in all of this content, excuse me, in three to five minute YouTube videos, of course, puts his Westoff shine on those products as well. So you don't want to miss out on anything as we try to paint the complete picture for all of you college tennis fans heading into another fantastic college tennis season. Of course, a little bit of a, uh, I suppose, self-promotion here to start the pod. I found out my fingers do indeed still work. I wrote my thoughts on where things stand entering the 2022 college tennis season. You want to read those thoughts, you can on our website, crackrackets.com. Kept it under 2,000 words, but eclipsed that 1,500 mark. It felt good. It's good to be back, folks. But of course, with that in mind, we get into another episode on today's show. And of course, on this podcast, we're going to be focusing on our number nine ranked men's team entering the 2022 season. Joining me on the podcast to do just that are the men who join me anytime. We're talking men's college tennis, the two other members of our college tennis holy trinity here at Crack Rackets. Let's start where we always start. Of course, a former four-star recruit on tennisrecruiting.net, your favorite writer for our website, crackrackets.com. And I have to say, after this past weekend, the lesser half of the Stokowiak brothers, <laughs> it's Matty, Matt the Crack Stokowiak. Matty, hey, great shot. Chris's laughter threw me off. I apologize. How are you doing today? Oh, man. Tough way to start the show here. I, I have to say that is not what I was looking forward to hearing, but I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Um, I know you had a good time in Waco. I'm glad you did. I was there not too long ago. I had the same experience. It's a great place. Really enjoyed it. Um, but I think with all that being said, you still know that I am the better half. I mean, this is kind of non-negotiable. You know that. You really do. Um, but whatever. We'll let it slide for this week. I'll give you a one-week pass. Next week, we'll be back to it. I appreciate that. A shout-out. You know, look, I don't want to make this about Baylor because they are not our number nine team in the rankings. I do have to give a huge thank you to Coach Michael Woodson, everyone associated with the Baylor men's tennis team. They really did treat me like family west off as well for the weekend it was a spectacular time but nikki showed out maddie and it was on the tennis court as well he played some good ball he and spencer still got it of course it helped that baylor ended up beating oklahoma and yeah i would say it was hilarious when you run into alfredo perez mate ziga and joe shredder all that weekend and that was not the intention of the trip 
yeah, it was a good time. No doubt about that. And we'll save those stories, I suppose, for you guys off um, off mic, or I suppose we'll save them for the Baylor podcast where they're more appropriate. But yeah, be on the lookout for more content about that weekend coming forward. Of course, they are not the subject. We're focusing on number nine. And to help us do that, joining us as always, the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula predictions never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames, lover of mothers, lover of almond joys, the snitch, the professor. He quotes Henry Ford II, the one-shoulder designer, a 5.5 on UTR. It's Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Gruskin, although with all your sucking up to Coach Woodson, I'm still (laughs) – I figured may, maybe I just didn't do a very good job uh, looking at the mailbox. I never found my invitation. <laughs> well, let me just say, I think you were over the age limit for that trip. Uh, but <laughs> it was 6.0 and up UTRs only. You had to play West off of that second hotel spot. <laughs> Greskin's on a roll. <laughs> he is. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh look again. You're invited. We're going to make another trip there. We have plans. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, although we're trying with some fun things in the works. Of course, we will announce them as soon as they become official here at Crack Rackets. But on the laundry list of things we will attempt to do, if not this year, sometime in the near future, we're doing a road trip, Chris. Me, you, the RV, we'll either go SEC country, we'll do a Texas swing I mean, everything's within like two hours of each other in Texas, or at least in one part of the state. So, yeah, I, I feel like, I mean, we're, we're used to traveling with each other. We love each other. It would be an experience. There, there Yeah, we're going to do that for sure. There's also no doubt that you, me, and Maddie, and anybody else that wants to come join in are going to have to come stay in March at our new house in Tennessee for the Florida Tennessee match. Uh, I mean, come on. We're all there for that. Oh, yeah, that's a lock. I have no doubt about that. I'm trying to think who would be like the fourth person we'd throw into the art. Well, I guess the fifth because Westop probably has to come. Uh, and he'd be like, I'll drive separately. He's like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but who is it? It's me, you, Maddie. Who's the one coach we take on the road with us? You guys pick one. Who's your pick? And this is a good one opening tangent. Take on the road. Who's the one coach you think could tolerate just a road trip like that? All of the nonsense. I mean, my first thought is Chris Quinto. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he would be the only guy that would, he would light it up more than Grusk. I mean, it would be a, it would be one nonstop blast with him. He is a head coach now. Yeah. The problem is I don't know if he has the time. Yeah. Nowadays, (laughs) now he's just a bit busy. That would have been a great trip for him like six years ago. That's a good one, Chris. I think we can leave that there. That's a good pick. Uh, But of course, again, Uh, Always a pleasure to be joined on the podcast with you both today. I do have one quick actual tangent for us before we get into our number 19, because of course, I always like to throw in some current events at the start of these shows. And Chris, my question to you, because I've seen you tweeting about it and Maddie, I know you're following it as well, but we've seen a lot of ITF success for these college tennis players down the home stretch of this fall of 2021. And of course, the notable stat entering the national fall championships on the men's singles side, there were no top 10 ranked players in the national fall draw. There were five of them in the draw in Fayetteville, you know, whether it's been Kingsley or Boyton or, you know, I could go all the way through Alexander Recco of uh, Arkansas, Ben Shelton, of course, as well. Duarte has been excellent. You can go up and down the line. There have been Tristan Boyer's had a run. Is it an abnormal amount of success here, Chris? Certainly it's been fantastic to see so many ITF uh, events on both the men's and women's side, by the way. Emma Navarro has been killing it. Like She may have had too much pro success to come back to school now. Ditto, obviously, for Rinki Hijikata. Is this outliers, Chris? I, I I don't know. I don't remember. And obviously we follow it now much more closely perhaps than we once did, but I just don't remember this many players, A, so young in their college tennis careers, but B, who are scheduled to come back having this much success. And perhaps it's because we see so many fellow college players in these draws. Yeah. You know, I've, I've thought about that and I haven't, I've wanted to look a little closer because I feel like I feel like you that I don't think I'm being, you know, I don't think I have a recency bias here. I like you feel like we've seen much more success from current and like one year out 
graduated players this year than I've ever seen at the pro levels before, which almost seems backwards because it, you know, it's, it's tougher right now to get into those tournaments because of COVID and people hanging on to points and rankings. So it, it seems odd, but definitely I feel like, you know, I've got half of, you know, the ITA kids that play ITFs favorited in, in a sofa score. So I get alerts every time they play it. <laughs> I open it up now and I'll see like 30 matches in a day with all these, you know, kids in ITFs playing. And some of them doing, like you said, very, you know, a lot of them are looking to win around, but there are guys out there like Boyd, Boyton, like Shelton, you know, like Draxel, like that are, they're looking to win the tournaments, right? I mean, we've got guys making deep runs. We've always had guys get in and play. Teams always take their guys in the fall to futures. And for the most part, you know, they'll, they'll win a match or maybe try, you know, a lot of guys won't even make it through qualies. It seems like now the norm is becoming, these guys are all there, you know, you expect to see two or three of them in the quarterfinals at every futures, at least. I guess it's helped that the past 18 months you've been virtual, but over under five and a half serious meetings where you've gotten a sofa score ping and like it disrupted the meeting where you're like, Oh, Oliver Crawford just won in Tunisia. And you're like, whoopsies. Oh, well, so, so first off the most annoying thing, especially to my wife are the dings that happen starting at about midnight because of all the European tournaments. I get ding, ding, ding. Like, oh, I'll wake up at three in the morning. Oh yeah. Like today Crawford's in Greece or wherever. Right. (laughs) Crawford just won. Nice. (laughs) But uh, no, yeah, that happens nonstop all day, at least with the local stuff. Uh, A lot of times it's live streamed. So you're up and you can watch it. Uh, You know, I love seeing that. The good news is it matches with your P schedule. So that works uh, for you you getting up that late every night. But, uh, you know, Maddie, same question to you. And again, Kingsley coming back, like Adrian's coming back, Duarte and all the Florida guys. And I know I'm only talking the power five school here, but, you know, there's an incoming recruit, I believe, at Middle Tennessee, who's won, what is it, two doubles futures over the past couple of weeks. I believe that was what I saw. And. I mean, again, it's it's across levels. It's men's, it's women's. The Texas kid, the yeah. incomer, he just won. Incoming freshman, he, he won a few years. Yeah, and he's a 2003 yeah. or something, or super, super, or not 2003, but super, super young, and he's having that level of success, Maddie. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's not a fluke, guys. I mean, I just think the level right now, I mean, it's getting better and better. There's no doubt about it. I mean, these guys are just playing at that level. It's great for college tennis. I mean, the depth of college tennis, you know, once the season starts and the rankings come out, you know, we're not just talking about top 10 guys. I mean, we, I know we talk about the top 10 guys a lot, but if we bring that down and look at the top 20, the top 30, the top 40, the top 50, I mean, these guys can all really really play the depth of college tennis is only getting better makes it more fun to watch and i mean that's why we love doing this i want to do a segment this year called inspect Shidek, and we just do constant updates on clement Shidek every week and just how he's doing at washington and it's like we could because he's one of the many guys it, it really is i agree with you the depth is crazy and it's going to make this season uh, so extraordinarily exciting. And it's going to make this process, college contenders, probably look not so great in a couple of months, particularly rankings number nine, number 10. I cannot wait till we get to next week's show because that was also one of my takeaways from last weekend. I may have underestimated the number eight team on our list, but let's focus this week on number nine. And of course, as we look at this college tennis season, it's worth remembering we still have five high school graduating classes here uh, competing this season. That's because we have an extra year of eligibility extended to all of those athletes who lost the 2020 season due to the COVID pandemic. As such, as we talked about there, depth is at a premium. Veteran experience is at a premium, in particular NCAA experience. If your team has run the gauntlet, been through the rigor, gotten to a sweet 16, we cannot emphasize the value of that enough. And that brings us to our number nine team on our preseason list, the Arizona Wildcats. And of course, the Wildcats made program history last season, reaching the NCAA round of 16. And it was a run of success that 
just felt real. It wasn't a fluke run for them to go and beat Kentucky at the NCAA, uh, you know, regional. And it wasn't a fluke for them to beat the Michigan Wolverines either in that regional. And they win those matches back to back. They then play Tennessee to a four, three round of 16 match. And, you know, Gustav, uh, excuse me, yeah, Gustav Strom, it looked like he had Adam Walton entering that third set. And that was a match I was on the call for uh, during the national, you know, during the NCAA tournament. And, you know, again, Arizona was right there. And you look for them throughout the course of the season. They earn wins over USC and earn win over UCLA, over Arizona State. They play Texas 2-4-3 and, you know, good win over San Diego as well. It wasn't a fluke 21-8 and run. And, you know, it's so interesting. And I think the place for us to start this conversation, Maddie, is when you go back to the very start of the season, ITA kickoff weekend, the first time we saw so many of these teams compete, they lost to Florida 4-2, but it was not a 4-2 that we saw coming. And of course, you look at the box score for that match for, you know, Arizona, they were able to steal the doubles point, get wins from, you know, Hassey and Rengond and, you know, Malbasic and Strom. And then, you know, in that match, Gustav Strom beats Andy Andrade in straight sets and all of a sudden, you know, two quick points on the board for the Wildcats. And it takes, you know, a three set win from Joe Englandson to clinch the match for the Gators. That was the warning sign. But when did you start believing if you ever started believing in this Arizona team? Yeah, well, well, yeah, I definitely started believing in them. But I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up, Grusk, in that Florida match at kickoff weekend, because I distinctly remember you guys were on the red zone call. I was listening all the way up to um, to Ann Arbor because I was going to Michigan for that regional. And we were like, oh, my God, look at Arizona. I mean, we just that match against Florida, who obviously ended up becoming the national champions, that was the start of it. That really was the start of their season. They lost it. But I think we knew the way that they competed in that match. We were like, all right, we got to watch out for this team. I mean, they can, they have the ability to make some noise. And then when I really started to believe in them, Gruskin, was when, you know, they, lo- they lose that match to Florida but then they ended up ripping off like 13 wins in a row or something crazy where they didn't lose for like a couple of months. It was stupid. Their first loss ended up being against like Baylor. They went on the road and played Baylor and Waco and and they played them tough and they ended up losing that match. But in between the Florida result and the Baylor, uh, the Baylor loss, they ripped off like 13 matches. And we knew at that point, we we're like, okay, these guys can play with anybody. I mean, they're proving it match in match out. Um, they had some up, ups and downs throughout the course of the season, but overall last year was really the emergence of Arizona. I mean, coach Clancy shields has done a fantastic job. And that was the start. I believe last year was the very beginning of their program just trending in the upward direction, I think they're only going to get better. Yeah, and obviously so much of that success came with Gustav Strom clicking as well as he did in his freshman season. And all year long, he was on the short list. And initially it was, you know, him and the doc, von der Schulenberg and, you know, Johannes Monday, who just stood out above the rest of the field. And obviously Shelton, Tracy, all of these guys have had these, you know, Braswell had, was that good, honestly, to start the season last year as well. But, you know, for Strom to, elevate his game all the way up to the number one singles position and, you know, earn 18 wins uh, during his freshman year. And I apologize that I don't have the exact stats for you as unfortunately they're not available to us, but, you know, Chris, it wasn't just, you know, Strom at the top and no one else clicking as well. It was a tough year for Jonas Zieverts, and we can get there, but up and down the lineup, whether it was Hassi or Mel Bosich or just, Again, whomever it may be, they found solutions. It felt like, you know, just ways to find four points. Yeah, I mean, they've got a bunch of veterans. And like you said, somebody else stepped up and then you get to the you get to the end of the year and uh, and we see double H who hasn't played, you know, all year. Right. And comes in and he's all of a sudden he's in the middle of the lineup coming coming to NCAAs and performing. Uh, so they've got a lot of, you know, they've got a lot of talented, talented guys and a lot of upperclassmen. There's a lot of experience on this team. You know, we always talk about how are we too early on some of these teams with all the freshmen? Well, that's not a, you know, you had Strom last year. He ended up proving what he, what he could do. Now he's got a year under him and they've got everybody else still there. 
it's a very, very experienced team. Yeah. And just again, it was, they are not a typical two plus or three plus point sort of team. It was different solutions throughout the course of the season. And a lot of the time it was Strom as he worked his way up to number one, you know, he cleaned up 10 wins at number three and, you know, a bunch of wins at number two as well. But, you know, against USC, they take the doubles point, they get wins from Strom, Renguant, uh, and Hassey. And so that, you know, that's two, that's four, that's five, and dubs. Against Michigan at the NCAA tournament, it's a completely different recipe, you know, for this team. They end up uh, getting wins at two, five, and six. Uh, but in this case, it's Zivert. Uh, excuse me, that's, that's incorrect. They end up getting wins here um, against, and it's all out of order, but hey, great shot. Welcome back to the podcast, folks. But, you know, they get wins uh, at one, three, five, and six. And then, you know, against the Wildcats, it's a different recipe as well. This team, as you mentioned, was just a bunch of veterans. And it, it was so fascinating because getting to watch them play, it does feel like there's an Arizona style, Maddie. It feels like these are guys, they're ball machines. It's just, all right, if you want to beat us, we're going four hours. And, you know, I wrote this in the piece that you can now read on crackrackets.com. But it felt like every team got in a little bit of a kerfuffle with Arizona. They're a team that got under other team skins last year. Yes. Yes. They have an energy. Anytime you watch them play, they're so energetic and it starts with the coach, right? Coach Shields. I think he's changed the culture there. I mean, remember guys, I can't remember like, you know, growing up watching college tennis and everything, Arizona was never really a factor out, out West in the PAC 12. I mean, they may have had a couple of good teams, but they were never really a, a, a threat. And I think coach Shields came in. He completely changed the culture. I mean, he's just instilled confidence in his guys and said, Hey, you belong, man. I mean, you, you guys belong at the top of the game. They bring energy. They're in your face. They make a lot of balls and, and that helps. I mean, in college tennis energy, you know, that competitiveness, you got to have it. And if you can get under the other team's skin, I mean, you're, you're up a notch right there off the bat. So yeah, no, I expect that to continue as long as coach shields is there, you know, uh, running the show. Um, this team is going to be a factor year in and year out. Yeah. A bunch of firsts for the program in quite a bit of time. First wins over USC, UCLA in forever. And, you know, again, Chris, you mentioned it there. All the firsts were out of the way last season. And just overall, for them to go, you know, 21 and eight and take a few lumps, no doubt about that. The 4 3 loss at Texas, that's one that hurts. You go to Baylor, lose 5 2. That's a competitive match. You, you know, the big one, they were upset at Utah 4 3. That's the stinger that kind of resets your focus. And so they experienced both winning and losing last season. And with that in mind, you look at the roster they bring into 2021, uh, two, excuse me, a lot of familiar faces. Across the board, you bring back Hassey, you bring back Mel Bassich, you bring back, you know, Strom and Zeverts and our boy Double H is going to be healthy as well, Maddie. Did this roster get better or stay the same contextually to the rest of college tennis this year? Well, it got better. I mean, we're adding Colton Smith, right? No, that's, I mean, you take, that, you're right. It's the, we, it's the same team we had last year and you're adding Colton Smith who's, I mean, we'll get into this, I'm sure, but is probably three to start the year and maybe moves up. But, I mean, you're adding a kid that can play in the top half of the lineup for sure, and you're bringing everybody else back that you that you had last year. Uh, you know, I, Chris, I was, except Alejandro Reguant. Mm -hmm. That's the one guy for them who was a senior or a fifth year guy who definitely played. I know Nick played him, I think at number four, when Arizona went to Waco, Nick played him. That was a good, he was a good player. I mean, he racked up a bunch of wins, you know, in the lower part four, of the lower five, five, six, but that's, but that was the difference last year is they had that depth. You're absolutely right, Maddie. Right. And so they lose him, which which is definitely a loss. I think just from a leadership standpoint, he won on the court. But to Chris, your point, Colton Smith, man, I mean, we might be talking a different level. Well, yeah, Re yeah. Reguant was also a key contributor, I think, in doubles as well. That's yes. obviously something you always have to factor in is at this point, you know, I don't think this team was exceptional at any individual double spot. And they played a bunch of different pairings throughout the course of the season, but they were able to sneak out doubles points. 
And, you know, you're right. It's only one guy, Chris. Um, but it is, it was just a guy who, you know, it was a key, you know, that was part of the, and they bring back a bunch of experience, but that was a key contributor. Yeah. But it's not like it was the only, yeah, I guess that right. was Mike. They had a lot of, like you said, they had a lot of guys and they had a lot of key guys. Yes. He was definitely key, but they also had depth and it's not like uh, they were only six deep and now they're, they're in trouble without them or five deep and because they're bringing a new one in, but you know, I, Everything you talked about in the prelude to <clears throat> to the to the team and everything you said now really made me think. And I was as I was watching the matches in Champagne last night, the Arizona team. When you watch that team play, to me, it's very much the equivalent of watching a Zeke Clark match. Like you said, <laughs> it's going to go four hours. Every you know, the majority of the matches are going to go three sets. They are super competitive. They're going to fight like heck and they're going to bring a lot of energy. I mean, it's that's what you expect every match from those guys. And that's what we got was just it, it's all heart. It's all fight. Sure. You look at them on paper and you go eh, maybe slightly undermanned on some of these teams, but then they come out and win just because they are a team. They're a team, you know, and that means something in co- people that don't get the sport don't really get that. It means something in college tennis. It's not six individual guys going out to play matches and that's it. I mean, the team that there is a team aspect to it. Yeah, no. And again, it's, you know, all, a, a lot of the guys are back, even without Raguant, you have Lagayev and Melbasic and, you know, again, you add in the element of Colton Smith, semifinalist at Kalamazoo this year. I had the chance to watch him play. He's going to fit that team to a T. Another guy who wants to go two and a half hours, three hours. And you're right. The team's very much a reflection of the personality of their head coach, Maddie. And, you know, again, that said, when you look at the strong spots in the lineup, when you start to break it down in comparison, because I think we agree in terms of the floor, this is a team. It's just going to be a tough out. You have to have the talent to beat them in order to beat them because they are going to do the little things. Well, they are going to get in your face, get loud, bring the energy that we love about college tennis. When you look at the upside, you look at the strengths, the match calculus, what are the parts of the lineup that intrigue you the most? I really, obviously Gustav strong to me this year, needs to establish himself as a bona fide top 10 player in the country. I think he needs to get there. I think he can do it. I think his, his career high last year, he got up to 15 in the nation uh, in singles. This year, I want him planted in that top 10. He is going to be their number one player. There's no, no question about that. I want to see him improve even more because to me, he can, I mean, he can beat anybody. He's that good. He's one of those players that has the ability to beat anybody in the country. To me, that's a very strong spot, the top part of their lineup, but then also the depth. I'm looking lower, like five and six, right? Guys like Carlos Hassi and Lagayev, and, and I don't know exactly who's going to be playing in what spots, but to me, it, it might be the middle portion of, the, of their lineup, potentially, because I think Colton Smith is a freshman, you know, maybe, you know, in that middle portion of the lineup. We don't really know where a healthy double H is going to play. So I'm just kind of looking at it going, OK, they're going to be fantastic at the top. You have a stud number one and then down low, man. I mean, five and six, they they should not lose much. I mean, when they go up against, I know the elite teams, we're talking the top five teams or whatever. Yeah, they you know, that might be one thing. But against everybody else, I, I love the depth that Arizona has. So those are those would be my spots. Top number one and then down low. The thing is, it's very Kentucky-ish, and it's just you have like five guys who could play four through six, and because you do think the top three, or at least in my opinion, is going to be some combination of Strom, Zeverts, and in my opinion, Colton Smith. Now, does Smith start there right away? I'm not sure, but I think by the NCAA tournament, he'll work his way up to that mark, and then, as you guys mentioned, to get a Hassey or, you know, Malbasic and bottom three, it's just again, double H. Yeah, double H is your upside play as well. He's playing one. Sorry, move over, Gustav. Like that's your top ten player here entering the season. I, I mean, Chris, as I, I'll get into the UTRs momentarily. But again, from your perspective, give me the match calculus. Give me the lineups you're looking at. Yeah, I this is I think you described it well up top. It's I think it'll be again this year, much like it was last year. I don't think there's gonna be a hey, we're looking at you know, even with Strom at one, I don't think they're going, hey, we get dubs, we get Gustav, and then we find two more. I think you're gonna see 
the you know various number of combinations it's going to be a different number of guys every single week but yeah i like you i think i think we see you know strom and zeverts at at one two i think in some order combination to at least to start the year you've got colton and uh and malbasich at three and four and then you've got you know hoyerall and and hassey and then you've even got guys below them that can still play but uh but I don't know that you're going to, you know, I think Gustav will put up a very, very, very good record at number one. He will probably be, you know, one of the most solid guys in the lineup. So they're going to be looking at, you know, thinking that's a pretty good spot for them all year. But beyond that, they're just really solid. I don't think anyone's going to be, it's not like I'm expecting anyone to go, you know, 18 and two in their spot. I think it's just, you know, they've got so many guys that can play, especially in that kind of three through six spot that it's, it's going to be mix and match and they're going to get different combinations every single match. Yeah. And again, unfortunately my internet browser is going to be a bit difficult. So Chris, I'm going to ask you to pull up the UTRs now and just, again, I'm curious how this team does compare to the USC's of the world and the Stanford's of the world, because you look at their conference this season, Maddie, and uh, you know, again, it, it feels a little bit open right now in the Pac-12. Certainly UCLA, USC, a bit of a shift right now. One generation of players out, the next generation of players emerging. And there's a lot of unknown. Like we know Dostnik is going to be good. And we know Bradley Fry is going to be really good. And obviously Ryder Jackson and Jake Sands and Ludwig Westrate is, you know, Westrate, excuse me. They're all going to be able to play. But is that team demonstrably better? than this Arizona roster? I don't think so. And again, UCLA, I I don't think so. And so Stanford's the interesting one, and I'm interested to hear the comparison from Chris, but let's start with the conference, Maddie. How do they stack up? Is this a team that can win the Pac-12 in 2022? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. There is no question in my mind Arizona can win the Pac-12 this year. They can. I just, I believe it. Um, it is open. I, I can't really remember, guys, because we're so used to USC, UCL, all those teams that you mentioned, Gruskin, just being so dominant. And and I don't see that happening this year. I don't think those are going to be dominant, elite, top five, you know, top eight squads in the country. So, Stanford is the interesting one. I am very high on Stanford. On paper, Stanford looks incredible. They should be very good. They're going to get a full season this year, which I think is important. But to me, Arizona is right there in the mix. And if if in that locker room, if they consider anything other than winning the Pac-12 their goal, that's a mistake. They need to win the conference. That should be the goal, and it's a realistic goal. Chris, hit me with the UTRs. You want teams or individuals you wanted to go through? I trust your judgment. So I, I think the thing you'll find interesting right off the bat is, especially given that we've got them as our number nine team, where are they in the Pac-12? Ooh, I'd also love to hear how they compare to Kentucky as well, if you want to pull that up while we guess. I'm going to say behind Stanford for sure. I'm going to say second behind Stanford. They're fourth. Fourth. Yeah. Behind so, USC and UCLA. Yep. Now that's a UCLA listing Drew Baird. I think I he's back. I mean, we saw him. I compete. don't know. I'm not. Yeah. I don't know either way if that's happening. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's the, this is, this comes back to, you know, we say, Hey, UTR is not a, everything. Uh, you know, the, the team aspect matters. You can be outmatched on paper. And some of these guys just don't go and play, you know, futures all summer, and you know, to get the individual UTRs up, you have to play the guys with the higher ranking. So if you're not out playing futures all summer, you're having a rough time. You know, you're not doing what Boyer and Ferry and Rotzer and Geller are doing uh, to, to get those UTRs up there. But, but yeah, they are, uh, they're, they're far. I mean, I don't know where they stand, you know, NCAA wise, but they would be nowhere near top 10. they, uh, they might be in the 20 range uh, be, just because after the top three, it's a pretty, you know, they're all, they're all 12s, uh, which we know that's not what they are, but that's where the UTRs are for the four, five, six. We know those guys, uh, you know, when you're talking Malbasic and Hoyerall, they're better than that. I mean, Hoyerall just beat Illigan, uh, 
who, you know, had the great fall and he's like a 13, six. So, so we, you know, they're not, obviously we know that they're not totally accurate, but yeah, that's, that, that's kind of where they stand, but I, I, I'm with, you know, obviously we've got them as our number two team in the Pac-12, not the number four team. Well, that's fascinating. That gets me to a potential hot take, and I'll get back to I want to hear the projected lineups from each of you, and I do want to hear the individuals momentarily, Chris, but Maddie, uh, you know, again, for this team, is the argument that last season may have been the ceiling? That, again, because of you know, the fact that it was a COVID year and practice time were limited in the fall for so many teams. And this is a team that's going to get their work in and they're going to be fit at all times and ready to play and ready to compete that, you know, the circumstances were just perfect for them. They were a team that were, you know, well, I guess double H was down for the year, but they got, they had a lot of guys to play at a lot of spots throughout the course of the season. And just, you know, again, is round of 16, this did, did everything break right for this team? Is a team like UCLA with freshmen have a higher upside than in Arizona? Nope. I don't think so. I really don't. I, I, I don't look at it that way. I think this team's only going to get better. I said earlier in the show, last year was the start, right? That was the emergence. I see an upward trajectory. Gustav Strom is only a sophomore, right guys? I mean, we expect him to get better. I think he's going to get better. We bring in Colton Smith. Colton Smith wasn't there last year. He's got a bunch of upside. I think much higher upside. So, no, I see improvements. I do not think last year was the ceiling. I think they can easily match what they did and probably exceed it this year. Chris, give me the UTRs individually. Give me your projected lineup. Yeah, so you, and I'll do that as I tell you. You asked for the comparison with Kentucky. What's interesting, who was our number 10 team? Kentucky is a minimum two-tenths of a point favorite at every position minimum it's two at five point two five at six and then it then we're up to 0. 0.44 0. 0.39 0. 0.58 0. 0.5 i mean they're basically half a point across the board right uh with but like i said uh it that's that's just yeah, I mean, where we you saw are that with, matchup last they year they just beat they just beat kentucky at kentucky yeah, exactly exactly the only right? loss so for kentucky at home all season yeah, that's where you can. That, that's where you look at it and go. Yeah, we know they're just out. But yeah, uh, UTR wise down the line, Strom thirteen forty six, Colton Smith thirteen eighteen, and Zevert's thirteen ten. So that's your thirteens in the top three spots. And then where I said what really hurts them, uh, right? And even those I think are are low, especially. I mean, Strom at thirteen forty six, uh, I think is he's a little higher, but. Um, then when you get into 12, you got Malbasich at 1289, Hassey 1284, Hoyer all 1261. Uh, those clearly, those guys are underrated. I mean, we saw what Hoyer all did last year. We saw what he did this year in the, you know, in beating Iligan. Uh, we know what Malbasich and Hassey can do. So, you know, that's just one of those things. Those guys aren't playing every week. The, you know, these guys that are 13s and 14s in the futures and 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 that's the result so that'll i think those will come up as the year goes but like we said you know you would you can look at those and go wow kentucky's just a huge favorite but we just saw them play we saw them play at kentucky and arizona beat them so uh you know you can't everything's not you don't just pull up the utrs and go yeah that's that's what it is well my question to you guys based off of this because again if the utrs are inaccurate for Arizona, they're going to have to juice the rankings. They're going to have to get some big wins. And certainly their kickoff weekend offers them that opportunity. They were, you know, finished the season ranked 16th as such. They had one of the first picks. They're at Texas A&M during the kickoff weekend. First match will be against Texas Tech. Then they'll play the winner of A&M and UCLA. That is certainly an opportunity for the Wildcats to make the national indoors. And obviously just to get at that event, you put yourself in position to earn some serious ranked wins. The question is, may it be a Big Ten situation? How many other Pac-12 teams get into the final 16 field at the national indoors? You look for USC, their hosts, Harvard, USC might be the set, you know, the best non-Michigan Wake Forest matchup of the kickoff weekend. That's a first round matchup. That's going to be spicy. And then they get through that, you know, again, a Pepperdine or a Denver team, that's no easy out. You lean USC, certainly heading into that region. But like, again, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how the Pac-12 shakes out. Uh, and um, I guess my, my take to you, Maddie, is just, you know, I think that kickoff weekend may be why they're perfectly positioned. If, if they can get to the national indoor event, that, that is a serious win for this Arizona team. 
Oh yeah. And I like that draw. I like that section uh, for kickoff weekend for Arizona. I mean, A&M, I think is going to be a shell of its normal self. I don't think this is going to be the Texas A&M team that we've been used to over the past several seasons. So yeah, no, you know what? I mean, I expect Arizona to come out of that regional, make the national indoors and potentially do some damage. That's where they're going to get the absolute best teams in the country. Ranking points are on the line. And if they can do pretty well at indoors, they're going to be just fine, regardless of the Pac-12, because they're still going to get to play Stanford. They're going to get to play USC. There's going to be matches on their schedule that provide them some opportunities. So I'm okay with it. This team I didn't mention, Stanford at UCF. They've got Tulane first and the winner of UCF Louisville. So that could be another team. You get three in, you're probably feeling good yep. if you're the Pac-12. But I mean, again, that's that's the okay. So here's my spicy take for you guys. And I'll start with you, Chris. Arizona is more likely to lose in the round of 32 than they are to win in the quarterfinals. <laughs> more likely to lose in the round of 32 than win to make in the, the quarterfinals. Final. Yeah, I, I agree. That's the take. I mean, I, I'm not. I don't think they're losing in the round of 32, <laughs> but I don't think they're making the final four either. Well, I then mean, I, I guess. Agree. What if I said round of 16? Uh, no, then I'd say they're more likely to, I think that, I think they would be uh, more likely to win in the round of 16 than they would be to lose in the round of three. I think they could make, I think, you know, for them to get a win into the quarters yeah, is I think what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I think it's more likely that they, you know, I think they get to the round of 16, no matter what. So I don't see them losing in the round of 32. Now, do I think it's more likely that they win that match, which will in all likelihood be, you know, an underdog match for them, but against one of the top eight versus lose in the first match to a round of 32 team. No, I think it's more likely they, they win the round of 16 and make the quarters. I just don't think they get out of the quarters. Well, let's say it's like a 17th ranked Michigan or like a, you know, 21st ranked Arkansas going to Arizona for that NCAA regional. And that's the round of 32 matchup for Arizona. Again, Maddie, are they more likely to lose that match than they are to beat one of the top eight teams in our preseason poll in the NCAA round of 16 in your mind? I'm curious, like where you're at in those two gaps, are they closer to the top eight than they are to the rest of the field? Believing that first comparison, because I liked it West off, but that was the question I should have asked, by the way. I believe they are, look, we have them ranked number nine, which would tell you, we feel that they are very close to that top eight just outside of it. I mean, that is how I view this team. I believe that that's accurate. They have the ability to play to that level. So I do think they're closer to the top 10, nine, eight range, as opposed to 16, 17, 18. I I think they're above that. I just, I think they're going to be a better team. Chris. Yeah. I mean, I got Sure, you can get a, a tough uh, a tough seventeen match, right? If you're if you're if they end up sixteen and they play seventeen, absolutely. But if you know if they come in at uh, you know at a top ten ish, like where we kind of project them, and they're not playing number seventeen, then yeah, I think that's gonna. I don't see them losing that rad round. And I'm with Maddie. Yeah, maybe it doesn't look like it on paper but I still believe these guys are closer to a top eight than they are to a, you know, 17 to 20. Did I pick Kentucky as a quarterfinalist team last week, Maddie? Yes, you did. Uh, so, you can, so yeah, uh, you're, you're stuck buddy. Cause see, we already know you've <laughs> underrated number eight and you have to put them in. And, well, <laughs> nah, which, mean, I'll, I'll which means, you, which means you still have to bump somebody else out from your top seven. Yeah. To get <laughs> Michigan in. Uh, what about Michigan? Um, yeah, well, hey, Aaron Schneider won today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's brutal. I mean, again, it is thin pickings because I do think, well, see, I would lean this team's more likely to, well, 
it's just, again, the top-end talent. I really like Strom. I think Colton Smith's going to be a really good college tennis player. I think next season or, God, you know, two years from now, if they're both still in school, when Strom's a senior and Smith's a junior, that's a nightmare one, too, for any opponent. I think this year's a year too soon for the NCAA quarterfinals. I do think they would be more likely to take a lump this season, even with all the veteran experience at the end of the lineup. I think a young team has higher upside than these guys do, just from a weapons standpoint. Again, these, and I'm not saying, again, this team is as tough of an out as you're going to find in college tennis. And I agree with you. I think you can just pencil them into the NCAA round of 16 right now. It's happening. Like they are getting back to the sweet 16 unless they drew a Michigan. Unless they drew just, you know, an underperforming USC team that's now healthy and hot and just has their lineup figured out. And boy, what a fun regional round of 32 match that would be between two conference rivals. Didn't Arizona just beat Michigan too in Kentucky? I'm I'm saying I could see them struggling more with that match than I could seeing them upsetting one of our top eight teams. Like that is, that is the answer. I think they're closer to the rest of the pack than they are to that top eight group. That's how, how good I think they the top beating, eight is. How close were they, Gruskin, to beating Tennessee? They're excellent. But it didn't they, Tennessee's talent win out in the end? Well, they were up, they were up three two. They were up three two. And then they the had ten- to get we they had to get Wiedemann and Walton to win the match. First of all, from, I agree they're two. number nine. Go back and check the list. I'm pretty sure I was the one lobbying for this Arizona team. Yeah. I'm just playing devil's advocate here a bit as well. But, I, Not I, to I mention again, it's a floor versus ceiling thing. That's what this comes down to as we wrap today's show. It's floor versus ceiling to me. And I just think the floor of this team is incredibly high. I think there are some teams with some youth. And I think just, again, there's a combination of youth and veteran talent that's a little bit better amongst our top eight than there is maybe amongst this team. That's what they Look, want. Check the UTRs. Say. Check the UTRs. I guarantee you, if 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 these guys are listening to this and they hear you, that would be something that fuels them. I believe that they want to take that kind of underdog role. They don't want to be considered a favorite. They want that's coach shields, man. You know him. He wants to kind of have these little witch digs that he can fire up his squad. I think that works in their, which favor. gets me back to why they would be more likely to lose in the round of 32, because I think that's a matchup. And I'm not saying it's going to be harder for them to get up for, But, like, they're going to be a nightmare in that round of 16 match. Like, for sure. No doubt about that. Um, At the same time, you know, again, what does this team look like as the favorites, as the front runners? These are a lot of veterans who have been fighting, you know, throughout their college tennis career to put Arizona on the map. They've done it now. And, again, I have them number nine. I think they're going to have a lot of success. I think they beat USC again this year. I think they can absolutely beat UCLA again this year. I think if they play Stanford early in the season, they may even steal that one as well. I, again, it, it's a fascinating thing. I guess this gets us to predictions. We'll start with you, Chris. Just keep, keep in mind, keep in mind, Gruskin, the two of the likely teams you're throwing in that lose the round of 32 match because they could be like a number 17, 18 type team are USC and UCLA, and they can't play either one of them in the round of 32 because they don't let conferences play each other. That's why we have you, Professor. So you're back. Um, you're back to Michigan or, or UCF, <laughs> or you know, again, one of the well, Michigan's gonna be a top 16 school. We can lock that bad boy in right now. But like a dangerous, improving Duke team that you know has a bunch of repetitions under their belt, and maybe they're clicking at that time. Or just you know, again, there's a lot of options out there. I just think there's a lot of talent across the board i'm fascinated again it's going to be a really interesting season with that in mind start with you maddie give me the predictions well in the conference i i think it's super close for me Stan- i'm looking at stanford and i'm looking at arizona i do believe that those are the front runners to win the pac-12 i'm going to stick with stanford as my pick today right now on paper, I do believe, you know, by that point in the season, we're talking April, right? You know, end of April when we're playing conference championships. I am going to stick with Stanford as my pick instead of Arizona, but just barely. And I would not be shocked if it went the other way. So I'll say that in the conference, Arizona ends up finishing number two on a national scale. I, I believe if they stay healthy, 
and things break right, they would have an opportunity to make the quarterfinals, but I am not going to put them there. We have them at number nine. I do agree with that, but I believe that they're the team that in the round of 16 could pull the upset over a higher squad and actually make the quarters. I do think that that is a very, it's a possibility, but I'm not going to pick it. I do have eight other teams that we're going to talk about that I feel a little bit more comfortable putting for sure in my quarters. So I'm going to have them just outside, but man, it's just barely. And I, I think it could go the other way. Chris. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm pretty much right there with Maddie. I definitely have Stanford as the leading candidate in the PAC 12. I'll take them to win the conference. Uh, I mean, with what they've got guys coming in, in addition to, what they've got coming back from last year, Arthur Ferry actually are having a great lead into the season, um, you know, who was, you know, probably there, you know, on paper to the three behind Geller and Rotzert last year. Now, you know, you've got them and and Boyer and, and the other guys coming in and basing. And I mean, that's a, just a really, really strong team. So I'll, I'll take Stanford up, up at the top spot. I do like Arizona right now as, as the number two team. I do think, that that kickoff weekend match that that match against uh you know at at texas a&m i think that's a very winnable match and one that they need to be looking at thinking we should we need to win this match if we're the team that we're supposed to be a top 10 team uh you should beat texas a&m if you're a top 10 team so they they need that's going to be the first barometer for them of the season is that kickoff weekend and that should get them uh to indoors if they perform like they would should expect to uh and and that'll be a good start for the season for them if they can do it uh i will not take them as a quarter finalist if you will i'll reserve those for the teams that i had in in my top eight i'm with maddie i think they're right there would it shock me if they made it, no, I'm not going to be shocked uh, if, if if they get there. If they if they come in as a you know a, a nine nine ten eleven and they knock off the you know the six seven eight team in that round at their place, no, I'm not not going to be surprised at all. Especially like Maddie said, they're going to be a team that's prone to being able to pull off an upset with all these guys uh, with as much experience as they as they've got, especially if they draw a team that's a really young team uh, that's getting to host that, that round in, in the NCAA. So, so yeah, I'll, I'll say no to quarterfinals, but I think they make the, they make the round to 16 and bow out. Would I be shocked? No. And I think second in the PAC 12. So it's hard to disagree. Again, we have them at number nine for a reason. I'll say this after playing devil's advocate there, I think they beat Stanford in the regular season. I think they steal that match. I think that's exactly the sort of matchup this team gets up for, that this team's such a nightmare to come up against. And the issue for me is when you get to crunch time, when you get to the Sweet 16, doubles is just so critical. And I think if this team goes up 1-0, you're just not going to find four because they fight too hard and they're going to steal two of the three in the bottom three, and then they only need one of that top three in it, whether it's Strom, whether it's who's ever playing three singles, you feel good about that player, Colton Smith, Mel Bossich, you feel good about the guy at four as well. The thing we didn't talk about, and part of that's a byproduct of stats, but is Arizona a team you feel exceptional about? in the doubles like that that's the difference for me between them and the elite of the elite and just you know again i love the way they scrap in singles i love the energy they bring to the doubles point they came out and punched tennessee in the face a little bit in that ncaa round of 16 match in the doubles point but you know again ultimately i just I do think this team is a round of 16 team i i don't think they fall short i you know again at all but I don't see them knocking off any of my quarter finalists. And I would love to see a Kentucky Arizona rematch because that match was so exciting last season. And, you know, again, I, I do think because of their kickoff weekend, they will have a chance to be a top 10 team. And if they get a win over Stanford in the regular season, they're probably going to stay as top 10 team. If they get one win at the national indoors, they're probably going to stay a top 10 team. Now we don't have the full schedule yet, but yeah. Round of 16 feels good for these guys. And to your point, Maddie, if Strom takes a step up, then quarterfinals becomes comes in play. If he's one of those top 10 guys, 
you got to watch out for this team. If Colton Smith gels quickly, you got to watch out for this team because again, they may be the two best players. They're also the two youngest players. So just uh, this Arizona team has some upside still. Maybe they come out swinging in doubles. Who knows? Maybe this is the year, you know, Coach Shield is like, we, well, we're set in singles. It's time for us to focus on the doubles point moving forward. And, you know, that's a scary prospect. So, again, number 19 in our Crack Rackets College Contender Series, the Arizona Wildcats. We're going to talk with Coach Clancy Shields as well on our Cracked Interviews podcast. You can hear that conversation same day that this podcast is released. If you're not already, go subscribe to that show. Of course, again, we broke down our number 10 men's and women's teams, number 10 Ohio State women, number 10 Kentucky men. We also broke down our number nine women's team, the Texas A&M Aggies. Chris, I always look when I say that reveal to see what your face, not a, not too much shock at hearing that A&M name. So I'll take that as a victory but of course if you want to hear those conversations with john parsons you can hear them here on the great shot podcast feed you can read john and maddie on our cracked rackets websites you can read or watch excuse me our youtube summaries of it all over on our cracked rackets youtube channel of course a shout out as always to our super producer daniel westoff who has a heck of an editing job to do you'll notice i didn't swear there that's because my garage band stopped working about halfway through shout out to zoom. Uh, I just don't have an audio time. So I don't want to make his life too much di- uh, too difficult because again, he's got a lot of interviews to edit over the next few days with that in mind, Florida, you Maddie, any final thoughts on Arizona? No, I just think they're going to be a super exciting team. I, you know, we don't know how it's going to end up, but at the very least guys, this is a squad that's going to be super enjoyable to watch, right? Whether we're there in person, whether we're streaming it, I feel like Arizona just really embodies what college tennis is all about. Teamwork, energy, enthusiasm, um, fight and effort. And that's the type of tennis that I like to watch. So I'm going to be following them very closely. 5.5 UTR. I don't see your brother. (laughs) First of all, I agree. Eric Ruskin is a 5.5 UTR. That's not an insult. That's a... Well, you got the New Year's card. You're on the list. First of all, my hair looks wonderful in that photo. Um, you know, but when good. you were slamming me pre-pod, Druskin, I all I could think was, I really have no retort. This is horrible. All I can do is hold this up and go, I see two Ivy Leaguers. <laughs> I mean, that, that's all I got. <laughs> A guy who loves tennis. Uh, that's, my, yeah. that's my favorite joke. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's like, it's but good. yeah, no, I think you know. Final thoughts. I think the thing, one other thing that Arizona's got in their favor for them this year, which actually has nothing to do with them, is that they were bitten last year with COVID because Stanford got the late start. UCLA just wasn't the UCLA that we were used to. Uh, and I, you know, for their sake, I hope Drew Baird is back for UCLA. If we've got Stanford where they, where we expect them to be and a USC and UCLA team also right there in the mix, uh, you know, those are the, those are the elite four in the PAC 12 and that will help them from a rankings perspective where they're not going to be the number 17, 18, 19 team, having to go to Kentucky to play. They're going to have the opportunity from a formula standpoint uh, you know, we know they can play, but they need the other teams to be good as well. So uh, ranking wise to get those points and host coming down the stretch. And that's what everybody wants to do is host that round of 16, uh, two rounds there, and then hopefully get to a top eight and try to host. I think that's a possibility for them. If those teams in the pack 12 are all as good as we think they could be. Uh, so yeah, that that's a big bonus for them. So yeah, I'm looking forward to the, to the pack 12 season. That's such a good final point. Of course, you saved it till the hour mark. There's usually one top eight seed per conference. Arizona could absolutely be that seed. It's one win over Stanford. That is, could significantly be the difference. But with that said, your number 19, the Arizona Wildcats for my fantastic co-host, Matt the Cracks, Dekoyak, Chris Halios, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Gentlemen, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. Great shot. And we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.